to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Cheryl Einhorn, creator of the decision-making system, The Area Method, and author of the book, Problem Solved, a powerful system for making complex decisions with confidence and conviction. Cheryl uses her method for helping individuals and companies with their decision-making and is an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School. Welcome, Cheryl, to 321i Relaunch. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and I'm very excited to get into a discussion about what the area method is and how it can be helpful to relaunchers. But before we get into those questions, can you please give us a little background on your own career path and how you came to create the area method? Absolutely. My background is in investigative journalism. I spent a decade as an editor and columnist at the magazine Barron's, which is an investment publication. And I ended up specializing in what you might call the bearish company story. Those are stories that take a skeptical look at a company's financials or at their strategy. And a lot of times when those stories were published, there'd be a large share price reaction. Sometimes the stock exchange would halt the stock from trading. A couple of times the Justice Department or other regulatory agencies got involved. And for one story, a CEO ended up going to jail for 10 years. And as these stories came out, the reaction weighed heavily on me. It wasn't just somebody's investment portfolio that might be impacted. It could be somebody's retirement account or somebody's ability to actually get up and go to work at one of these companies in the morning or to buy their products and services. And so I just started to think about how could I have greater confidence and conviction in my own decisions? How could I better understand the incentives and motives of sources who came to me with story ideas or who spoke to me about them? And also as a middle, middle class kid from outside of Boston, although it was a perfectly lovely upbringing, it's somewhat limited. And how could I think about where I might be making mental mistakes and have an opportunity to confront those assumptions and judgments that I might be making. And so at about the same time, new research was coming out about how we're all flawed thinkers. We have these heuristics, these mental shortcuts. And I realized it's hubris to think that I could look at a data set and all of a sudden say, poof, I'm going to be objective. And so for me, given my background in research, I started to think about, well, what if I turned that problem upside down? And what if I instead just went all in on this idea that I am a flawed thinker? Could I construct some kind of a research system to help me control for and counteract my cognitive biases, focus better on the incentives and judgments of others, and therefore improve my and expand my knowledge while improving my judgment. Wow. So that's really fascinating. And then it sounds as though you were able to put this construct or this some sort of structure around it to create what you actually call the area method. And so can you walk us through that? And I don't know how you were able to um, think about it in the first place and how it works and, and maybe talk a little bit about how people use it. 
Sure. So the way that I initially started to think about it is, you know, our tendency is to go onto a search engine like Google and to type in what we want to learn. And so what happens is, is we get all information at all times curated based on our prior search history and what's been popular for other people. So the idea that we tend to do that means that we're immediately receiving biased information. So as I thought about a system, what became important for me and what the system is predicated upon is this idea about separating our sources of information. And I do that through perspective taking. And the reason why I like perspective taking is it gives you a beautiful two for one by pushing yourself outside of your own perspective you get to better understand incentives and motives of the other sources of information that you're dealing with. And you also gain distance on your own thinking and feeling, which allows you to have those assumptions and judgments bubble up so that you can better confront them. So the area method is a system that uniquely controls for and counteracts bias by using perspective taking. It also helps you to Um, turn your problem upside down. Because for many people, Carol, just getting started can be very off-putting when it comes to a complex problem. Where do I look for information or how do I think about that information? So the area method says, you know what, you don't have to confront that. Instead, turn your problem upside down and invert it and ask yourself something that is a far more empowering question, which is, What has to happen in the outcome of the decision for me to know that that decision has succeeded for me personally? So without even having to solve it, most people can answer that question because they know what would have to happen in the outcome Mm -hmm. of that decision to know that it has succeeded for them. And so now from there, you can derive what I call your critical concepts, the one, two or three things that have to happen in the outcome to solve for that vision of success. And so now you no longer have an open and potentially frustrating process. Instead, you have something that you can deeply and creatively investigate that's focused on your vision of success. How long does it take people to go through this methodology and think through these steps as you're describing them? Well, I think that's an excellent question. You know, we're all these days pressured by texts and emails, and we feel this need to respond quickly. But when you're solving for an important and an uncertain future, your own, you deserve time for thoughtful reflection. And so the methodology builds in what I call cheetah pauses. Why the cheetah? Because her prodigious hunting skill is not her ability to accelerate like a race car. It's actually that she can decelerate up to nine miles an hour in a single stride. And that builds in agility, flexibility, and maneuverability. So the process in the beginning does ask you to pause and to think about what needs to happen in the outcome for you to be successful and to derive these critical concepts, the one, two, or three things that need to happen in the outcome to solve for that vision. But then from there, the methodology is meant to be like the cheetah, agile and flexible. And anything that you do will increase the rigor of decision-making. Some people could decide that they want to do the whole system, and some people may pick and choose pieces. And so the system has to meet you for the way that you are resource bound, right? What is the time constraint that you have or the amount of money that you want to spend on solving the problem and so on. And so it should meet you where you are and move as quickly or as methodically as you choose. 
Very interesting. And um, uh, that cheetah analogy also, I, I've never heard that statistics about the deceleration and very uh, interesting fact. And I like the way you applied it. Cheryl, I wanted to know if we can explore uh, some examples of the way people apply the area method to their decision making. And I remember looking on your website and I believe I saw something about a prospective college student trying to decide between two colleges. Can you tell us about that example? I'd be happy to. So ARIA is an acronym for the steps of my decision-making system. Area A is close up on the target of your decision. Area R are sources that are somehow related to the target of your decision. Think about secondary or tertiary sources. Area E is actually two pieces. I call them the twin engines of creativity. Exploration is about getting beyond document-based sources to identify good prospects and ask them great questions. So it's interviewing. Area exploitation then turns its lens inward on ourselves as decision makers and gives us some exercises to think about our assumptions against our evidence. And then the final A in area is the analysis phase, which cobbles the pieces back together and helps you to come to conviction. So the example that you're referencing is about young Micah, who is thinking about two different college options. Micah wants to be a doctor. And so he's deciding between Johns Hopkins, where he has no financial aid, and Pitt, that has offered him some limited financial aid. So in inverting the problem and in thinking about what needs to happen in the outcome of the decision for Micah to succeed, Micah is able to realize that he's very fortunate as the only child of two working parents, that the financial aid issue is actually not the only issue that he needs to solve for. He can actually think about which school would he prefer to go to and which one better suits him. So in Area Absolute, he goes directly to the websites of each of the targets, and his decision is binary, Pitt or Hopkins. Your decision may have more options. And on those websites, the least information that he begins with in the Absolute phase is to get the numbers. How many students go to each school? He looks up in the school fact book for students. How much is the all-in cost? What's the teacher-to-student ratio? What are the required courses within the pre-med major? In area relative, the next concentric circle of the area method, sources that are somehow connected to but not from the decision targets. He looks at secondary and tertiary sources. What do U.S. News and World Report have to say about the two schools? And what does it say about both of their medical schools? What do... Websites like Rate My Professor have to say about the professors and what does College Confidential tell him about the student experience at both of those schools. And that's where his information really begins to diverge from what he got in the fact books. First, he recognizes that many students report in the student websites of Rate My Professor and College Confidential that full professors don't necessarily teach those undergraduate courses in the pre-med discipline at Johns Hopkins, but they do at Pitt. He also recognizes from the U.S. News and World Report rankings of the medical schools that although he knew Johns Hopkins had a fabulous reputation, 
and has the leading hospital in its area, it turns out that Pitt has the leading hospital in its area and that many of its departments are ranked number one, the same way that Hopkins is. So this already begins to change his perception of his options just by separating out the perspectives. In area exploration, he reaches out to current students and former students at both schools, and he reaches out to the pre-med advising office for both of the schools. And what he hears from students at the two universities, and again, this is just a moment in time, so your research and your process might be entirely different for the same question. He hears that the undergraduate pre-med office at Pitt is available and is very useful in helping students to be able to move through the process successfully. Whereas at Hopkins, the office is often just overworked and flooded with the number of pre-med undergraduate students. In area exploitation, he uses the exercises that I provide to help him think about his assumptions against his evidence. And in one of the exercises, he realizes something that entirely reframes his decision problem. He realizes that He's not actually solving for which college to go to, but instead he's solving for which college is actually going to help me be able to get through the pre-med rigorous courses successfully so that I can actually reach my dream of going to medical school. This drives him back into an earlier part of the process to really focus more on this question of the undergraduate pre-med advising office. I find that so many people in exploitation end up understanding their critical concepts differently and their decision problem. So that when he finally gets to the analysis phase, Micah does one more exercise that actually helps him picture before he comes to conviction, how might this decision fail? I've gone through the process, but how could it still not work out for me? And what he recognizes is that even in identifying that the undergraduate pre-med office is critical, that it has to be something where he can actually take advantage of it. And so how could he make that connection and ensure that he's going to be able to use it to his best advantage? Mm. And so in the final analysis, he actually comes to the unexpected decision, which is that he chooses to go to Pitt He reaches out to the pre-med office at the time that he accepts the school. He lets them know that they're coming and he asks him if he can set up a meeting with them for when he arrives to make sure that he has direct face-to-face contact with somebody who's going to help him get through such a large university and such a rigorous program. Mm -hmm. So that's one example of how someone used the area method. Very interesting. Great example. I just want to remind our listeners, anyone who's tuning in right now, that you are listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. And I'm here with Cheryl Einhorn, uh, who was talking about the area method, uh, a methodology, uh, it's a decision-making system for helping individuals and companies with their decision-making. So Cheryl, can you talk about any other examples that might be specifically relevant to relaunchers either 
people who are very early stage, who are currently in their careers and thinking about whether to go on career break or not, or those who are already well into their career breaks and are thinking about when and whether to return to work. Sure. If we take somebody who's thinking about returning to work in particular, you know, I think area works really nicely um, in that instance, because area is really built on this collaborative backbone, right? The idea of the perspective taking is that we're not just solving for ourselves and that decision-making has often been historically something that has been very siloed. But when we're viewing it through the lens of how other stakeholders are actually involved in our decisions, and we're taking into account their incentives and motives, what we're actually doing is we're solving our problems more holistically, and therefore they have an opportunity to actually succeed long-term. And for people who are rejoining, these are people who have decided that at this moment in time, another obligation is paramount for them right? Whether it be their children, their spouse, something for themselves personally. Or other reasons that, you know, people are taking career, it could be elder care or some other reason, but right. So let's, we can take the uh, example of someone who's on a career break for a child care reason. Um, or, or elder care works the same way, Carol. I mean, you're exactly right, because it's this idea that we have to solve holistically. And so for that person who's got some other obligation that they've Um, taken a break from the career workforce from, they want to be thinking about what are they actually solving for? Are they solving to come back for which visions of success? Is it so that they can have something in the adult world that is their own? Is it something where they're looking about and need to make a certain amount of money? Or is it some other reason that is bringing them back to the workforce. And so by identifying that vision of success and then deriving from there the critical concepts, the one, two, or three things that have to happen to get to that picture of success, they can then think about how they actually want to define what their targets are, right? If it's careers that they've already been in before, or if maybe they need to go back to school to make a bridge to give them new skills and also present them with new recruiting opportunities. Um, And they can think about how these things fit into the broader context in the relative phase. And then in exploration, they can talk to people in those fields who have been there, done that before, other relaunchers potentially who have made similar calculations and taken a similar break from the workforce. And then in exploitation, they can really sit down with these exercises that I've learned from experts in other fields like journalism and medicine and the intelligence community to really sort of better confront their assumptions with evidence And then in the analysis phase, just like Micah, they can use this premortem, which is a very powerful decision-making tool, because by thinking about how your decision can fail, even before you've come to conviction, you get to not only see how it could fail by telling the story of failure, but then you also get this nice opportunity to construct some safeguards to prevent it from failing in the way that you've identified. So that by the time you've come to the end, you can really see the whole process before you, you can explain it to other people, and you can then invite them into a conversation that is based on the actual 
research that you've done, because something like re-entering the workforce or deciding to take a pause, these also have great emotional import. And sometimes that can not only cloud our decision-making, but it can cloud our conversations with other people. And so being able to show them how you've gone through a thoughtful due diligence process and the steps that you've taken, where you've also tried to consider it from the vantage point of the other stakeholders, really allows you to have something that can give you a more rational conversation about something that you've identified as important to your future well-being. Right. Uh, Well, that is a very good uh, summary uh, of thinking about how to apply uh, the area method of decision-making system to the specific case of the relauncher. We are getting close to running out of time, Cheryl. And before we finish up, I want to talk to you a little bit about your work as an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School. Can you talk to us uh, a little bit about uh, your work there? Yes, I teach the area method there. The main class that I teach these days is called Advanced Investment Research. And I have a new book that's going to be coming out in January called Investing in Financial Research, A Decision-Making System for Better Results. And it uses my area method applied specifically to financial decisions. And that's because financial decisions have an import and a lexicon that's all their own. And so I think that this will give people an opportunity to not only use a book like Problem Solved and see the area method applied to high stakes personal and professional decisions, but also for those decisions that are primarily financial, they'll have an opportunity to have a book that's just dedicated to what does it look like when you're actually evaluating, for instance, an investment opportunity. And it uses some of the examples of my students over the years who are doing just that in class. Wow, I'm glad I asked you that question. I'm very interested to hear about the new book. Can you say the title of the book one more time and when it's coming out? It's called Investing in Financial Research, a Decision-Making System for Better Results. And it is going to come out in January. You know, that topic is uh, equally relevant to relaunchers because, of course, the financial piece is such a critical piece in in many of our uh, decision-making processes. Those of us who are on career break, when we're trying to think about how long we should be on career break and what what the pressures are on us near term and longer term in terms of finances and and the, the factor and, and that can be a, a huge factor um, in decision making around career breaks. So uh, that's something I know that I will be on the lookout for, and I'm sure it, it will be relevant to many in our audience. Um, Cheryl, I want to close by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is what is your top piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about in our conversation today? I really think that um, it's hard for people when they're faced with a complex decision to really spend time thinking about what actually is success for them. I think if you can identify that question, you can really get yourself started. 
Because it's that first step, Carol, that I really find so many people getting stuck on. They say that they want to go back or they want to switch careers or they're thinking about taking a break, but they haven't really said to themselves, what is it that I need to have happen in the outcome of this decision to know that it succeeded for me personally? And I think doing that is so empowering we recognize at that moment that the only thing that we truly have control over in our lives are our choices. So if we could ever truly master decision-making, we can not only get closer to our goals, but we could really get closer to our dreams. Right. I, you can uh, definitely see how what you're talking about today affects every aspect of people's lives. And at the end of the day, really their happiness and how they define it. So, 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 so important. Um, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us how people can find out more about the area method? Absolutely. Please feel free to check out my website, which is areamethod.com, A-R-E-A method.com. On the website, you'll find information about me. You'll find information about my book. And you might also enjoy trying a free web-based app that I've developed called the Problem Solver Profile. And if you click on this, you can take a quiz that will result in you identifying as one as of five decision-making profiles, and you can then find out what are the strengths of being that kind of a decision-making archetype, and what are some of the potential pitfalls, a few of the main cognitive biases that you might want to have a heightened awareness about based on being that kind of a decision-maker, and you can have your friends and family take it too so that you can think about really how can I capitalize on my strengths as a decision maker and how can I limit some of those potential pitfalls so that when I interact with other people, I can make my big decisions better. Thank you. That sounds like a, a, a tool that could be very useful to our audience. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for speaking with us today. Thank you, Carol. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. For more information about I Relaunch, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.